0: Hi ladies, you're listening to The Goodness Podcast. My name is Noor Tahini. I'm the co-founder of Goodness, and I'll be your host today. Goodness was launched in 2018 as a platform dedicated to tackling topics surrounding women's health in a real and honest way. And we're continuing on that mission with the launch of this podcast series, which will feature real women and real stories from the Middle East. My guest on the podcast today is Dr. Nick Wakefield a clinical psychologist at Dubai's Lighthouse Center, who specializes in trauma and PTSD. He joins me just a few days after the August 4th Beirut explosion to discuss its impact on the Lebanese people, be they in Lebanon or around the world. Hi, Dr. Nick.
1: Hi, Noah. Hi. Good morning.
0: Good morning. Thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So you specialize in trauma and PTSD, correct?
1: Yes, yeah. So working with a range of uh, therapeutic approaches to help people who've experienced a variety of trauma and specifically when they experience post-traumatic stress disorder.
0: My first question to you is, is there a difference between sort of acute trauma that comes from an event like an explosion versus maybe chronic, maybe, these might not be the right words, but chronic trauma, which comes from months of being in twenty twenty example?
1: Yes, there, there are differences. Some people may experience a lot of the same kind of after effects, but an acute trauma, um, enduring the trauma, they, they experience a lot of uh, symptoms of kind of numbness, shock, some dissociation, some panic. Can affect people in lots of different ways, from problems with sleep, change in appetite, diet, etc., confusion, mm-hmm. uh, poor memory, lots of different cognitive um, issues can arise, um, change in behaviour, more irritable or more placid. So it can go e- either way. Um, so there can be lots of lots of different changes in an acute stress reaction, an acute trauma and they're more heightened, they're more, they're more intense. Mm-hmm. Um, with something like what's been going on in, in, in 2020, I suppose people adapt. People adapt because it's a, it's a sort of, I suppose a slow burner, it's, it's ever present, nothing much changes with it. Um, so people start to adapt as, as they go along. There's initial few days of shock as things suddenly change, you know, when people went into lockdown, but generally people are quite adaptable. What's happening in, in Beirut, there's so much to adapt to. And, mm-hmm. you know, for the, the people there as well, they've already been going through so much over the last 12 months and over many years. So the, there are, there are sim- similarities, but there are also differences. And the after effects as well um, can, be, can be very different.
0: Okay. Let's talk about the tragedy that happened in Beirut on the 4th of August. What are we today? The I think we're the 8th? Wow, I can't believe it's already been 4 days. So, you're I'm sure you're fully aware of what happened and have been following the news as have all of uh, all of us. What do you think the impact of something like that will be on the population of Beirut? I want to talk first uh, about people who are actually in Lebanon right now because with the Lebanese there's more Lebanese outside of Lebanon than there are in Lebanon, um, as you might know. But let's start talking about the people who've actually, who've lived this, who were there, who had their home shattered, or who heard the explosion and were shaken to their core.
1: Hmm. Well, I, I suppose that right now, they'll be going through all of those symptoms I described previously, the the, the shock of it all and they'll be in what we call fight-or-flight mode. So their nervous mm-hmm. system, their body, is in, in a kind of action mode. Some people may go into a sort of freeze, a, a possum-like mode, but most people will be in a kind of fight-or-flight, and their body, their minds will want to, to act in, in some way. But they'll be going through, um, I say, lots of uh, shock, numbness, uh, disbelief. There may be a lot of distress kind of a lot of a lot of anxiety a lot of fears for the for the future but most people will just be focused on what is going on right in front of them and being what we call a kind of survival mode so just trying to get through day by day that's where they'll be most people will be right now
0: yeah i was talking to a friend of mine who isn't in lebanon and she was talking to her friend in lebanon and he was telling her how he can't close his eyes because every time he closes his eyes his mind sort of replays the explosion. Yeah. And I think, like you said, people are in survival mode, not just because of what happened, but because they literally are scrambling to survive right now. It's, there's actually a very like, tangible aspect to that where their homes have been destroyed, they're cleaning up the streets, they're trying to figure things out in that sense. So I think that maybe, if you agree, adds to the trauma
1: yeah, absolutely. There, there, for, for many people, there they were already in a, a bad place. You know, their their yeah. resilience was being tested as it was, and then this sudden, quite shocking incident has kind of well, for for many people could have kind of pushed them to the the limits of their their resilience. But mm-hmm. it is it is normal in in the, in the after, the immediate aftermath of a of a traumatic event um, for. The, the mind to keep the focus on that so keep replaying it because that, that's a survival technique if you think about it if there's a threat our mind over the following few days will just keep us aware that the threat may still be in the area something else mm. may may happen so it is, it is a, a survival technique and as time goes on for most people that will that will lessen those memories will get the sort of date stamp in the brain and they'll be marked as in the past for some people, however, a, 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 a fairly small percentage, but still significant, they'll continue to get those kind of flashbacks, those those kind of images blazoned on the the eyelids for for months and some cases years after, and that's where appropriate treatment and therapy would, would be needed to, to help those people. But it is normal to to continue to focus on that 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 threat in the in the in the early days.
0: When it lasts for much longer, for years, as you were saying, is that what is known as PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder? Is that what it's called, post-traumatic? Stress?
1: Yeah, so that that's when either it continues or it re-emerges at a later date and, and symptoms persi- persist. Um, the diagnostic tools say around a, three months after a traumatic event, if it's still there, if it's still intense, if it's not fading, then that would be classified as, as PTSD, Yeah.
0: I've heard people talk about trauma staying in your DNA or in your genes and saying, for example, that the Lebanese people, many of whom were were either their parents lived through, parents and grandparents lived through the Civil War or they, if they're in their 30s, were born during the Civil War. Do you believe that trauma can stay in the genes of a population
1: yeah, absolutely. It's, you know The studies of epigenetics has proven that. Um, and again, it's, it's about survival of that, that particular society. If one generation is facing hardship in some way, then it, it's, it's functional, it's a survival thing again for those genes that relate to survival to be switched on in the next generation. However, circumstances change for the next generation and they, they don't need those genes. You know, there's, there's a study from um, Northern Ireland that shows the generation after a lot of the, as they call them, the troubles, so where there was lots of violence, uh, that generation have more of the markers for uh, paranoia and mistrust because it's a survival mechanism to be... Um, wary of somebody who might shoot you, for example. So, yeah, yeah, there's definitely something that happens genetically um, from generation to generation. But also people who've lived through trauma, they may pass it on. We've got intergenerational trauma. They, they, you know, they continue to experience panic attacks and they they instill that fear into the next generation, etc. So there's also learned response as well.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, As opposed to it being passed down genetically, it's being passed down through your upbringing and through watching the way that your parents react to certain things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But I just don't, you know, I I see a number of Lebanese clients, sort of late 30s, early 40s that lived through um, war, who actually have a a healthy kind of relationship to those experiences. It was something, you know, they see it as something that they lived through, that they grew from. And, you know, that, that life goes on. So there, there's some resilience that can come from that, knowing that we, we, you know, we can cope and we can get through some very hard times. So mm-hmm. there'll be also a lot of resilience in that, that population.
0: Yes, there's definitely a lot of resilience in the Lebanese people. Do you think that having that kind of, th- those maybe uh, genes passed down and those learned ex- experiences passed down, does that make it harder for a population to recover from a situation like the one Lebanon is in, in the sense that they're trying to rebuild a new country, one that isn't built on corruption and the, the, with the current political class and power. Can these past traumatic experiences interfere with their ability to do that?
1: It, it, it depends. I mean, you know, as, as a population versus individual people, you know, there, there's so many variations in individual people. But as, as a population, if they can see that they have some sense of control, there's some sense of empowerment, that they can, they can act in some way, then recovery. And, you know, recovery uh, often it means going back to where we were before the thing happened. And actually what you're talking about is a rebuilding yeah, so the, there's hope yeah. in a rebuilding, isn't there? I'm, I'm sure men, yeah. the majority of Lebanese people wouldn't want to go back to um, how things were six days ago. They want to build something, as you say, build something new. And that's, that's um, you know, the, the, word, the word self-efficacy. So being able to take control over your environment and, and rebuild and, and, and so on and so forth. So it can go that way. However, there will be lots of people who kind of have, I suppose, trauma fatigue, the, you know, what, kind of what next? What bad thing is going to happen next? So it, it can depend on the, the attitudes of the people and the social cohesion as well. You know, one of the main things that helps people get through trauma is a sense of social cohesion, be that in the wider community or in their smaller social groups, within families, within, within friendships. It's one of the single biggest predictors of resilience.
0: Let's talk about survivor's guilt for a moment. It's something that I've seen going around on social media quite a bit. And a lot of the people who were in Beirut are feeling that and are talking about those feelings of, you know, we were so close, it could have happened to us, but it didn't. And someone else that we know is dead or someone that was in a coffee shop where we go to all the time is dead. Could you explain survivor's guilt a little bit and how to cope with it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it it's a... It's a difficult one because it's a very common reaction in any kind of grief. Um, you know, that could have been me or why wasn't it me and, and so on and so forth. And again, it, it depends on individual's mindset pre the event. So some people are much more prone to to that. but I suppose the, the big thing about survivor's guilt is guilt as a, a useful emotion is about preventing ourselves from doing something bad again, you know, so if I, I insult you in some way and I feel guilty about it, I'll try not to insult you again and then, you know, the relationship can continue. Survivor's guilt is, is useless because you can't change anything. It doesn't, mm. it doesn't help you to, to change anything. So it's, it's not a functional emotion, and it only, it only serves to kind of contribute to, to depression, other anxiety, etc. But I suppose one, one of the things is to try and find some meaning for yourself in what has happened. So you know again, thinking about uh, post-traumatic growth and growth from something that's happened is to say, "Well, what meaning can I start to make from this?" Um, or what can I take forward? How can I? How can I be different? In you know, what can I change for me based on this? You know, many people when they there's a lot of grief, there's there's a lot of loss, make kind of existential changes to say, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna live my life to the full now. You know, I was I was languishing before, and I, actually, this is this has spurred me on to live my life to the full in memory of those people that who have been lost.
0: So. The explosion in Lebanon affected a lot of families and a lot of young children. And there were a lot of videos circulating, I don't know if you saw them, of, of children being pulled away from windows as the blast was going off and sort of the that, that cloud blew through Beirut and shattered all the windows. What is the impact going to be on young children and how can parents talk to their children about coping with something like this?
1: I mean, I think first of all, it's very difficult because the parents are trying to to cope with it themselves and and make make sense of it. And, you know, there's always the the old adage, put your own oxygen mask on first. Um, So the parents have to make sure they're they're coping in the most effective ways, you know, making sure their basic needs are taken care of. But I think trying to be open and honest with children, don't lie, don't hide bad news. Because children kind of start to, they, they, they get a sense, they know that the parents are hiding something. And also don't, don't hide your own feelings as parents. Often parents try to protect their children and stay strong in quotation marks because uh, they feel that's what the child needs to see. But actually the child needs to see that mum's upset, dad's scared and so on in order to make sense of their own emotions. So it's very important to be to be upfront, but without being too scary. So age-appropriate discussions about what's happened, what's going to happen next, um, what do what do we you know need to what do we need to do in the next hour, the next day, uh, so that the focus just on the here and now, and expressing and explaining any feelings that they they may be having.
0: I read uh, something that said that it's not because your children aren't talking about it that they're not thinking about it. So is it okay for parents to sort of preempt the conversations, ask their kids what they're thinking, engage in that and and talk about it even if the kids aren't?
1: I think I think make the space for it, maybe even do it through through drawing, through play, you know, with action toys, that kind of thing. But what, what people don't want to do in this kind of situation is just replay the events, talk over the events, uh, because that can be re-traumatising. Um, so talk about current feelings, how you're feeling in the here and now and how are you feeling for the, the future. But yeah, it's certainly open open the conversation and make it clear that you know they can talk whenever they want as well. So don't force them to, but encourage them.
0: Can trauma manifest itself or can the effects of trauma on someone manifest themselves as violence
1: uh yeah there's lots of studies that show in ptsd violence can can occur because people feel under threat when you know ptsd is the reliving of the trauma as though it's happening right there right there again Um, so people feel under threat so they go into that fight or flight mode so you know one is to flee run away from the danger the other is to fight and that can manifest in in violence and there can also be a lot more irritability and anger and things like that because trying to make sense of of emotions which can lead to conflict if if people react to that that um, anger and irritation uh, so yes yeah, certainly in PTSD it can lead to to violence
0: i think it comes as no surprise to us that right now Lebanese people can't afford Months of therapy and there are dozens of therapists on <clears throat> i've seen the posts going around on instagram and on, on whatsapp where they're offering free services to people who've been affected and that's great but how does someone deal with trauma when they don't have access to a therapist or therapy yeah
1: well for, first of all one thing i would say is is therapy is is kind of down the list of things that are needed, and especially right now. And again, only a small proportion of people will need therapy, need to speak to someone later on, or do things like EMDR, um, eye movement desensitisation and reprocessing therapy at a later point if they remain traumatised. The biggest things that people need are that sense of community, sense of social cohesion, being able to talk to friends and family, being able to act Acting is so important and acting might be clearing out rubble, acting might be cooking for the neighbours, acting might be playing with the, the, the children while somebody else does something else. Any kind of action that can make a person feel involved and feel in control of their, their destiny is, is so important in terms of healing right now. Things that involve movement, things that involve singing and playing music together. Anything that fosters a sense of community can really help with healing of of trauma. Therapy is something that's that's way down the line and isn't necessary for most people.
0: Okay, so sense of community is the number one thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And, you know, for, for people, for other people building some resilience. There's, so there's lots of things that you can get online about managing emotions, you know, different coping skills, doing meditations, all these, all these types of things, doing yoga. There was, there was a study um, of people who were near the, the building collapse at 9-11 and the top thing they reported in terms of what helped was acupuncture. Really? Therapy was, I think, third on the list. But acupuncture was, was number one. So there's, there's so many different things that, that are needed before therapy is, is considered. Um, and I think it's great that so many therapists are volunteering their, their help and, and support. And right now, as it should be, is help and support. People are in trauma, they're not post-trauma. So that, 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 is, that is what is, is needed.
0: And you said this in-trauma phase lasts about three months.
1: It depends. I mean, the I suppose it de- from the point that the actual threat has finished. Right now, I suspect that people still feel under threat because you know homes are damaged, ruined. People are out on the streets. You know, food is going to be scarce. So they're, they're still in trauma right right now. And usually, up to about three months, it takes. There, varies from different uh, for different people, but yeah, usually up to three months, people should see the various symptoms starting to reduce and start to feel like they're they're getting more to an even keel. Post three months, if it stays exactly the same, then that's when people might um, be suffering with more severe um, consequences of the trauma.
0: To your earlier point, I think what's so beautiful about the way that people have come together is that sense of community. So people are cleaning the streets because the government's not doing that they're delivering food to their neighbors as you were saying they're really coming together and and if you're saying that this is one of the best things that they could do to heal from the trauma then that makes me very hopeful
1: yeah absolutely and you know i think if if people are there and they're seeing somebody that looks kind of hopeless or or helpless get them involved as well get them involved in some way can they do a food delivery can they be can they be part in some way city you know the body wants to do something so sitting in and and kind of looking around in shock won't help people in in the long run so get get people involved in any way that they can
0: all right now let's talk about the lebanese diaspora so the The people like me, like my family, who are not living in Lebanon, but who have been glued to their phones and their screens and unable to do, I mean, I'll speak in in my case and the case of some of my friends who I've spoken to about this, we have not been able to do anything productive since this happened. We're just sort of moping around, refreshing Instagram, watching the news, trying to see what can we do to help where can we donate i think this conversation that i'm having with you is probably the most you know productive thing that i've done over the past 4 days and there's 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 a whole multitude of of emotions right so there's the guilt of having a roof over our heads and having a stability that our our friends and family in Lebanon do not then there's helplessness especially in a country like the united arab emirates where sort of uh, you're very limited in the ways that you can express yourself when it comes to something like this, you know, you can't march, you can't gather around the embassy, you can't hold a, a you know, like a, a vigil with, with candles and you can't, you're not allowed to collect food or money that has to go through the Red Crescent. So there's this helplessness and then there's this intense sense of connection and yet disconnection with what's happening in Lebanon.
1: Yeah, I think you know, there. You, you describe a very complex situation. You know, there's you know, so much empathy for your, your fellow, for fellow Lebanese people, and just you know fellow people of of planet Earth. That you, you see people and people that you may know in distress who who are struggling, and that that sense of helplessness is is one of the the main kind of problems in terms of dealing with this vicarious trauma. You're not experiencing it directly but you're you're experiencing the fallout you're feeling the emotions that other people are are going through and you so again it is it it is difficult there's there's no no easy way to get around it but accepting where you are in, in your position is 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 important you know there's 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 no point in getting into a wish state or a you know, well, I should be, or shoulds and shouldn'ts, wishes and shoulds and shouldn'ts don't help, you are where you are, you are doing what you are doing, but being, trying to be creative in how you can be supportive in, in some ways, you know, just make, letting people know you're there on the end of the phone, you know, the end of end of WhatsApp, you're there at the end of an email or the end of Zoom, just to listen, that could be supportive for people talk within your community so even people going through that vicarious trauma still need that sense of community and and cohesion so you know how how do you have gatherings how do you talk about what's going on uh, collectively how do you share that that experience together and i th- and i th- i think there are things you can do as well to you know make sure your basic needs are, are taken care of because you, you will, will like you say you focus on um, what's going on in the news you worry etc so sleep patterns might change usual behaviors might change so it's important to try and keep your regular routine as much as possible um, regular diet as much as possible avoid things like caffeine alcohol any, anything else that can kind of oh, that can stop the feelings all right. Um, also one, one thing that can be really powerful and it may seem like a, a simple thing to do but to journal, journal each day what you've thought and felt um, reflect on your emotions, don't try and deny them or avoid them, expect them and experience them not to be overwhelmed by them but just to say yeah, the, these are things I'm going through and this is normal tell other people you're going through them so that they can know as well, that it's normal, because they're probably going through the same thing.
0: How harmful is it to sweep your emotions under a rug? In the long
1: run, very harmful, because it usually comes out in some way or another, um, often in things like panic attacks. In the short term, it's very functional. In the short term, you have to, you know, you got you got to survive, you got to get through, through the day. Um, you know, I work with a lot of people who are in grief, and they feel, you know, just shut down. They start doing things like reorganizing the kitchen cupboards and the the shoe racks and and things like that, just to feel like they're they're doing something. And that's okay for a short period of time, around an event, as long as, within a week or two, you start to allow yourself to, to experience them because they won't go anywhere, they don't dissipate. And if we don't deal with them, the intensity stays and then all of a sudden, they, they can, they can hit, with, hit with real force.
0: So right now, the people in Lebanon and the people specifically in Beirut, they have put these feelings on hold because they have to rebuild and they are angry and they're going to march on, on Beirut tonight and demand the, re- the, the resignation of the government and so on. Are you saying that in a few days, once that dust has settled, there were, will be a, a different type of emotion to deal with? <sighs>
1: I think. I mean, I. I think it, for the, those in Lebanon, it could be more than a few days because I think you know okay. we've we've all seen how much damage the the blast has done. There's no, there's no easy 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 kind of way around that. But but actually, you know, the the idea of, of marching again—that's that people coming together, people having one one voice, um, and you know, building 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 a sense of resistance and, and resilience. Actually. what what they call connecting to a noble motive. So some sort of national or social pride can be really helpful in building some um, resistance and resilience. So again, people out there acting, taking taking charge in that way can be really helpful for long-term healing. But they've still got to go through all the things that are going to be problematic um, living there right now.
0: Is there anything else, any other advice or words of wisdom that you would like to leave us with?
1: I think just take care of the basics. Break down your time in as shorter periods as you need to. So don't be thinking too far into the future. Think what do I need to, to get through this next hour? What do I need to get through this next half a day or a day? Look after your physical health. Try and maintain as much routine as possible. But find a way to to get involved with your your the community be connected to that social community whether it's immediate family wider community or through these you know, say different organizations that are trying to trying to help building emotional resilience will can can take time dealing with different emotions will take time there's no there's no shortcut to that um but anything that's physical that can help Right now, getting involved, doing some some activity, doing some yoga, all these kinds of things help process trauma.
0: Does getting angry help as well?
1: In the short term, it's if if you're angry, express it. It's if Mm. it's a valid emotion, and don't don't subdue any emotions and allow anyone to say, well, it's not a valid emotion, and anger is a perfectly reasonable reaction.
0: Thank you very much, Dr. Nick.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Thanks for listening today. If you're not familiar with goodness, head to www.goodness.me to access the online platform and articles and follow us at goodness on Instagram. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review and share it. And we'll see you next week.